Why don't you stand up with me this morning? We're going to honor God's word, and we're going to read it aloud together. We're going to read today from Psalm 95. And uh, again, like we read last week in Psalm 100, normally this psalm is a call to worship. Uh, It's something that maybe you would hear at the beginning of a service instead of at the beginning of a message. But today, since we're in this series called Here to Worship, it is a call to this message. So as we read it today, let's read it with some enthusiasm. Let's read it as if these words were our own. Amen? Let's read. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are his people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come to you today with our hearts and our minds focused upon you, Jesus. We proclaim Be the center, Jesus. Be the center of our attention. Be the center of our affections, of our focus of our lives. We want to come and ascribe worth and place great value on you because you are worth it. As we hear uh, your word today, as we read these scriptures, let us have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, I pray that today we would be full of faith to take a step towards you, to take a step towards discipline in our Um, journey of being a disciple of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would uh, take a a step toward obedience when we walk out these doors, that Monday morning, God, that we would live a life that is reflected of what you did in our hearts today. God, that we wouldn't be the same when we leave here than when we came. Do your work in your people today, in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. Well, as you're seated, high-five the person next to you or shake their hands if you're not into high-fives because I know some of you are not high-fivers. My wife. To, To catch you up, if you weren't here last week or if you were here, just to recap and just kind of remind you where we are Um. We, we, we were talking about this series called Here to Worship, and the first question that we asked is, what is worship, right? I mean, if you're here to do that, then what do you, need, you need to know what you're here to do, right? And so we said that worship is simply this, giving worth, ascribing value, ascribing worth, placing value on something or someone, right? And all of us do it. We ascribe worth and we place value on things or people, with the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, what we do with our resources, what we do with our own personal energy, what do we do in our thought life, with our words. There's all kinds of ways that we ascribe worth and place value on things and on people. And it's something that all of us do. It's hardwired into every human being's DNA to be a worshiper. Everyone worships something. We we said that, that worship is a response. When creation sees its creator, the natural response, the overflowing response is to worship, to ascribe worth, to place value. And so what what do we do as believers? We worship God because of we see his greatness. We also said that worship is a discipline, right? You you worship even if you don't feel like it sometimes. Just like when you go to work out at the gym, you know, you you never think, well, you know, I don't think I won't I, I don't think I'm going to go to the gym today because I just don't feel like it because if I go and do it, it it'll just be an unauthentic work, workout, you know? 
It'll be disingenuous of me to be at the gym because I just don't feel like it. No, you do it anyway because you're disciplined and you do it because you know it's going to be worth it, right? You know that you're, even if you don't feel like it, you're going to do it because you know that you're going to grow stronger and your, your stamina is going to increase and that you're going to burn calories, right? You do all those things because you know it's going to be worth it. So we, we resolve in our hearts that we're going to be disciples who don't avoid the discipline. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, then it, it requires some discipline, and worship is included in that. It's like, I don't, I don't feel like worshiping or ascribing worth to God or placing value on God today. Well, get your eyes off of yourself, get your eyes off of your circumstances, and get your eyes on God. Because when you do that, you see, like, again, back to the first thing, worship is a response. When creation sees its creator, the automatic flow and response is to worship. So if you're having a hard time with that, adjust those things. Think about, oh, am I, are my eyes on myself? Are my eyes on my circumstance? Is my eyes on some, something or someone else? Because more often than not, it will be. We also said that how do we worship? Well, we worship with our heart and our head, right? We worship with our feelings and we worship with our emotions, but not just that. We also worship with our knowledge and our understanding. And again, the question is not if you're going to worship. Every human being, it's hardwired into us. You're going to do it. The question is, what are you going to worship? Or who are you going to worship? And then the follow-up from that is, how are you going to worship? And hopefully, again, the answer to that question is that above anything or anyone else, that you're going to ascribe worth to God. You're going to place the greatest value on Him above anyone else, including yourself. I think that's one of the major problems that we have in our culture today is, is that we, we said this last week too, that people wonder where, what direction their life is going in. They have these big cosmic questions. Who am I? What am I here for? What direction is my life going in? Well, who am I? You're a worshiper, right? That, that's it's something that is true for every single human being that has ever lived, is living now, and will ever live. And what also is true is, where is my life going? Your life is headed in the direction of the thing or the person that you are worshiping. And if we look around our culture today, knowing this truth, look at, our, look at your life, look at the lives of the people around you, examine these things, and examine our culture, and think about, we think about the mess that some people are in, the mess that, that parts of our culture are in, a lot of it has to do with self-worship. I'm my own God. I'm my own creator. And so I just want to encourage you with this truth that if you begin to notice in your heart the difficulty, just examine, am I trying to be my own God? Am I trying to be my own creator? Am I, am I worshiping something other than Yahweh? Something other than Jesus? We're doing diagnostics, remember? Canuder valve? Anyway. <laughs> if you weren't here last week, you have to listen to the podcast. I want to look at this, some scriptures today and look at the life of David. Because David is known throughout the scriptures, a uh, pretty popular guy as someone who is a worshiper, right? We see a bunch of great examples in David's life on how to worship. A lot of different expressions of worship uh, we see in his life. His, his, it was the overflow of his desire to ascribe worth to the Lord. And here, you know, it was just without, whole, without any kind of reservation, with complete wholeheartedness, some of these biblical expressions of worship that we see in David's life are this right here. Speaking, shouting, singing. Bowing low, standing, dancing. You guys don't want to see me dance, I promise. <laughs> Music, clapping, lifting hands. These are all things that we see uh, expressed in David's life. They're scriptural expressions of worship. And so if they're in the Bible and they're, they're biblical expressions, then we ought to be familiar with them, right? And sometimes we're, we have our little like comfort zone of like, well... 
I'm okay with the standing part because that's just what everybody else is doing right now. So if I don't stand, then I'm going to look like I don't belong. So at least I'll do that. Well, that's not really a heart of worship, <laughs> but, but it's a good place to start because it's discipline. And some people are okay with, you know, speaking. And they will speak, you know, things that ascribe worth and place value on God. And then so, there's other things. But all of these things are, are things that we ought to experiment with. Yes, J.D., even dancing. I will do that in my prayer closet where no one else will see that because I don't want you to be distracted and look at me and not be looking at the Lord. So anyway, um, <laughs> you guys seen the guy? This was a viral video some years ago, um, and it's kind of made a resurgence recently. The, the guy who's a preacher, and he had like maybe a street, street hip-hop background, and he was like doing this popping and locking while he was preaching. He's like, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Putting on the armor of God. And he was doing, I was like, that is awesome. <laughs> I wonder if that's how David did it. <laughs> anyway, these are biblical expressions of worship. And these are ways that we can respond to God's greatness. Amen. And so if you dig into David's life, you, you see some things that you need to take notice of. Um, you remember, this, this is like one of the most famous accounts in Scripture, but the account of David and Goliath. Some of you were afraid to like speak it out because you thought, I'm going to be wrong. He's going to say something else. No, David and Goliath. And I hesitate to, to call it a Bible story. Because sometimes when I hear the word story, I think of like fiction. But these are like historical accounts. These are things that truly happen. This, this is something that really happened, this, this encounter between David and this guy, this giant warrior named Goliath. It's found in 1 Samuel 17, but if, if we rewind a little bit in 1 Samuel 16, David is this young guy who's the runt of the litter in his dad's house. And he's the lowest guy on the, on the totem pole. And so Samuel is God's man. He's the, he's the prophet of Israel, and he's God's man for the hour. God speaks to Samuel and says, hey, I'm done with Saul. Uh, Saul's the king. And Samuel, you can stop mourning over Saul. It's time to move on. And so the Lord instructs Samuel to go to the house of, of Jesse in Bethlehem. And, uh, and so under the guise of, like, making a sacrifice because Samuel's afraid that, like, Saul's going to find out about this and he's going to, like, kill me, the Lord's like, no, 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 just take a bull with you and make a sacrifice to me and be a smokescreen. I thought that's interesting. So Samuel goes out to Jesse's Ponderosa, and he says, let me see your sons. And so all the sons come forward and... The Lord's like, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one, it's not that one. There's one more. So Samuel's like, you got any more kids that aren't here in line? Jesse's like, yeah, we've got David, but he's just out tending to the sheep because no one else wants to do that. So we give him all the, like, the terrible jobs that nobody else wants to do. So he's calling him, call him in. So he calls him in, and this is it. This is God's new man for the hour to lead Israel. So Samuel anoints him. Wow, that's like pretty amazing stuff. He anoints him as king, but he's not king just yet. Then David gets a job in, king's in the king's court. Saul's tormented, um, and Saul's advisors are like, you know, we don't have Spotify yet, but we do have live musicians, and we know that worship changes his atmospheres, yeah. Right? And they knew that even then, that worship changes atmospheres. So there's this one young guy who's really proficient. And we're going to bring him in to Saul's court. And when he plays, the Spirit of God shows up. It's quite remarkable. When we worship God, atmospheres change. We invite the Holy Spirit to come into an atmosphere 
and he does. God comes where he's wanted. So <clears throat> this is like a part-time job that, that David's got. Then now we've got now into 1 Samuel 17. And we've got Israel is at the Valley of Allah. They're on one side of this valley. And on the other side of the valley are the Philistines. And back in the day, they would do this thing where each army would send out a warrior, their, their number one guy, their best warrior. And these two guys from each side, they would fight to the death. And whoever would win that battle, well, that army would conquer the other army. Why would they do that? Well, because the loss of one life is far better than the loss of the masses, right? And, and so they would conquer. So it's, if the Philistines conquered Israel, they would be their masters. They would rule over them. And so the Philistines send this guy out named Goliath, nine foot, six inches tall. He's a warrior. He's got armor, and he's got a mouth on him. And this guy is saying all this stuff. He's talking trash to the Israelites. He's talking trash about Yahweh. And he's like, we, the Philistines, are going to take you guys. We're going to kill your army. You're going to be our captives. You're going to be our slaves. You're going to serve us. And this goes on day after day after day after day for 40 days. Goliath comes out to the, to the valley, and he shouts to the Israelites and taunts them and taunts God. So you've got maybe 15-year-old David. His dad sends him to the, to the front to take supplies to his brothers. Now, David is a shepherd. He's not been trained for the army. But he has learned some things when he's been out tending sheep and he's been out worshiping the Lord. And so he, he arrives to the front lines to give his, his brothers some food. And he hears what's going on. And it hacks him off. Something stirred within him because he's hearing Goliath say things about God that he's like, nope, how dare you? How dare you say things about God? And how dare you defy the, his army? That's who we are. We're the Lord's army. How dare you defy that? But, but the, the Israeli army is completely immobilized by fear. And no one's going out to volunteer to fight this giant. And, and Saul, who is supposed to be like, you know, the commander-in-chief of the, the army of Israel, he's not going out, and he hasn't appointed anybody. They're just sitting there, immobilized by fear. So David goes to the king Saul, and he's like, what's happening here? How dare this, this guy defy the armies of the living God? We cannot stand for this. And Saul's like, well, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, who's going to do this? Who's going to fight him? Who's going to fight this nine-foot-six warrior with armor? I mean, you guys ever watch, like, boxing or UFC? One of the big things in, in, uh, in fighting or in boxing is someone's reach, Right? That's why there are categories for people, you know, like featherweight, lightweight, middleweight, welterweight, heavyweight. I don't know all the weights. Super heavyweight, I think that's one of them. Because they want to match guys up, it's important to match guys up to their size so they don't actually kill one another. It's important that, oh, Lord, I'll just say it, I'm here. It's important that women can't compete against women and men compete against men. Okay, so moving on. That's neither here nor there about this sermon, but it seemed relevant to what we're talking about between David and Goliath, okay? 
Just think about Goliath's reach. David, think about the size of his, this guy's spear and his sword and his, the, 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 how heavy his armor is. Who's going to do this? David says, I'll do it. So David goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath looks at David. He's like, are you kidding me? What is this? Goliath is offended. You sent a boy to fight me. Are you kidding? Can we just do this? Open up your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. Let's just read this part ourselves. I could keep narrating it, but let's read it here. I believe, let's start here in verse 41. 1 Samuel 17, verse 41. It's not on the screen, so you'll just actually have to open your Bible. Um, It's remarkable. It's an important thing to have with you. Verse 41. The Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And And when the Philistine looked and saw David... He disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came near and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine, and David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. Who brings a slingshot to fight a giant warrior? It's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Do you understand? David's confidence was not in his own power. Oh, I'm really good with a slingshot. You should see me. Yeah, right. No, he knew he had God on his side. The stone sank into Goliath's forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword out and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sherem and as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered the camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put Goliath's armor in his tent. Amazing. Amazing. I like the chopping the head off part. Um, what, what, do we, what do we see here about David. We rewind into to chapter 16. We rewind into even knowing a little bit more about David. David, before he gets to the battlefield and has defeated Goliath and chopped this dude's head off, David had cultivated a lifestyle of worship. When you're a worshiper, there's a confidence that builds on the inside of you. 
It's important to note that David's boldness and his confidence did not come from his own achievements and his own accolades. Had he defeated a lion in the wild that had tried to attack the flock? Yes. Had he had, had defeated a bear in the wild that tried to come against his flock? Yes. Those things do get brought up. He, he tells that to Saul when Saul's trying to say, are you kidding me? Who are you to do this? And David, David knew that if I just said God is on our side, that it wasn't going to be enough for Saul. So he had, to, he had to list off some, hey, I can do this. I defeated a lion. I defeated a bear. So Saul gives him permission to do this. And then Saul tries to equip him with, with things that David is not familiar with. What is David familiar with? The tools of his trade and worshiping God. And so when he goes out to meet Goliath, he does not tell Goliath that he fought a bear and, and killed a bear. He does not tell Goliath that he fought a lion and beat a lion. He tells Goliath who he serves. I serve God. That's really where his boldness and his confidence was. It wasn't in that I defeated a bear and a lion. I got this. I'm really good with a slingshot, you guys. Are you kidding me? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm going out to meet the enemy, and I see and I know who God is because I've spent time in his presence, and I've encountered him, and I've worshiped him. His boldness came from his confidence in God. That's what enabled him to stand boldly in the face of the enemy. And when Goliath was trash-talking about God, David heard it, and he recognized the lies. What you're saying about God, that's not the God I serve. You don't know him, but I do know him because I've spent time in his presence. I know who he is. And when you worship, you develop a confidence in God's character. You develop a confidence in who he is, and the lies of the enemy are destroyed. That's what worship does. It Worship develops your confidence in God, and it destroys the lies of the enemy. Notice that when Goliath said, again, I'm going to kill you, David didn't even say, well, yeah, well, I've been anointed to be king. I had a prophetic word. I'm going to be king, I know that, so I can safely assume that I'm not going to die today. Listen, uh, getting a word from God is incredibly important, but that's still not what David stood on. What David stood on was not the word from the prophet Samuel, what David stood on was his direct relationship with God Almighty. I've spent time in the presence of God. I know who he is. You can't talk me out of this. It's not about, I got a word, I got anointed, I'm really good with a slingshot, I'm really good at, you know, I took down a bear and a lion. None of that, it was about who God is. He's like, I know who he is. He's my defender. It was about his confidence, God. He'd spent time there. Worship destroys the lives of the enemy. When you worship, you're coming into agreement with a greater reality than your natural circumstances. Worship speaks the truth of who God is. With, with our natural vision, we may see it one way. But we know that we serve a God who sees it another way. You guys, this is not new information. This is not, I'm about to share with you like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that. No one's ever used that as a sermon illustration before. Uh, I'm, you probably have heard this, that when a bank teller is being trained to spot a counterfeit, they don't actually study counterfeits. What they do is, is they handle the real thing, and they spend time with the real thing, and they touch it, and they count it, and they stack it, and they know what it looks like, and they know what it feels like, and they know what it smells like. And, and, and so the, the more that they handle the real thing, the easier it is for them to recognize and spot a fake, a lie, a counterfeit. 
If something doesn't feel right, oh, you know what? We're going to examine this. Let's hold this up to the light. Let's look at this under um, a magnifying glass. Let's hand this to someone else and tell me what they think. But usually, don't, it usually doesn't even have to go that, book, that far because they can spot it pretty easy because they've dealt so much with the real thing. The enemy is going to come at you with counterfeit truth. You're weak. This is not who God created you to be. Challenging your identity. Challenging your calling. You think you're going to succeed in this? You're a failure. You think God sees you? He doesn't see you. God doesn't love you. These are all things that maybe we know up here in our head, but we've not allowed them to sink down here into our heart. But when you worship, yes, we worship with our knowledge and understanding, but we're also worshiping from our heart. And so we need to spend time in both of these areas. We need to spend time in worshiping with with our heart and our head because it makes us familiar with the real thing. So that when Satan comes at us with counterfeit and with lies, we can go, stop, I see that right there. I don't receive that. I don't come into agreement with that. That's not God's truth. I know the speaker of truth. I know my God. When you've spent time in the presence of truth himself, because truth has a name and its name is Jesus. You go, oh, that's not the real thing. That's not the truth. That's not for me. I'm not going to have anything to do with that. Worship destroys the lives of the enemy, and it builds our confidence in the character and nature of God. Another thing that worship does is quite remarkable. Worship empowers you to endure any circumstance. We rewind a little bit back to the first Samuel, again, at the start, at the beginning of David's story. He's a teenager. He gets anointed to be king. He gets a job in the king's court, you know, playing the harp, playing electric guitar. That's how I see it, with dotted eighth delay. Anyway, nice, like, ethereal reverbs. I'll just stop. And, uh, and so things are looking pretty good. Wow, I'm anointed to be king. This perfumed oil. And you guys, when we think about anointed to be king, it's not like when you come up here to be prayed for at the end of the service and we have our like little bottles of anointing oil with, you know, this is olive oil from Jerusalem. And, you know, we put the sign of the cross. I'm not trying to diminish that. But when you were anointed to be king, it was this mixture of spiced oils in this giant pot, and then they would pour the whole thing on top of you. It was significant. It was a significant experience. And you know how expensive that is? It was costly. And so Samuel anoints David to be king, but it's not time just yet. But I see the progression. I I, I got a job in the king's court. This is cool. Like I'm actually got a foot in the palace now. And not just there, I've got a foot in the throne room. This is cool. And then David defeats Goliath, and he becomes known as the great warrior in Israel, even above Saul, right? Saul comes back into town, and all the women of Israel are singing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. So now he's like, you know, the heartthrob of Israel. He's known as a great warrior among the men. And all the women are like, oh. Going pretty good for David. Things are progressing. But then all of a sudden, Saul's like, Saul has killed his thousands and David is tens of thousands? Well, I don't like that very much. And over a period of time, Saul begins to lose it and he begins to go haywire. And he had already, Saul had already disconnected his heart from the Lord, which is why David got to be anointed to be king in the first place. Saul had already disregarded the word of the Lord a handful of times. 
And so that wasn't there. And so now he's like, I'm going to murder this guy. I'm going to murder this guy. Jonathan, Saul's son, David's BFF, he comes to his dad. He's like, Dad, what has David ever done? He's innocent. He's not guilty of anything. How can you kill an innocent man? Still Saul's plan because he doesn't have the Spirit of God. So David comes home. Or actually, David's playing in, in the king's court one day, and Saul takes a spear and throws it at him and tries to kill him right there in the throne room, in the palace. David runs. He escapes. He goes home. He's married to one of Saul's daughters, Michal. That's how you say it in Hebrew, Michal. I always thought it was Michael, but I thought that was really weird. That's a dude's name, but <laughs> dudes don't marry dudes. Michal. And, and she's like, uh, David, dad's trying to kill you, and this is, he's going to do it. You need to leave. You need to run away. You need to flee. You need to escape. So she had just watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. David escapes in the middle of the night, climbs out the window. She goes and grabs this, like, statue thing, puts it in David's bed and some goat hair, and puts it on the statue and, like, covers him up. Total Ferris Bueller move, right? <laughs> because she thinks the, the, Saul's sending his Navy SEALs in the middle of the night to come to execute David. And sure enough, they do. And, of course, David is gone. What's going on here? Wait, wait a second. I was anointed to be king. I had that word from the Lord. Uh, I got, you know, a foot in in the king's court, you know, playing awesome music. The presence of God was coming, and he was ministering to even Saul, and Saul, Saul would calm down when David would play because the presence of God would show up. I defeated Goliath. All of Israel thinks I'm awesome. Now I'm on the run for my life? What is going on? This doesn't look like, like it's going to end up the way that I thought it would. What's happening here? So then, so David's on the run, and he's living in exile in the wilderness, and he's like, God, what's up with this? So then David starts looking around and taking account of his friends, like seeing the guys who are with him. And it's great to have guys with you, right? Unless they're losers. <laughs> right? And so David starts looking around at the guys that are there with him. He's like, God, really? My, my friends are broke. They're outcasts. I heard the pastor, God, I heard when the pastor said, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. My future's not looking so bright here. Come on, God, I need some help here. So David and this ragtag bunch of misfits, they're on the run from crazy King Saul for at least eight years. Some scholars say it could have been twice that long. So somewhere between eight and 16 years, possibly. His circumstances are difficult. His circumstances are telling him, this is not, uh, this your life's not going the way you thought it would. Your life's not going the way that, this, that Samuel had prophesied that it would. He's hiding out in caves. He's writing songs. He's singing songs that we still sing today. Pretty remarkable what the Holy Spirit did in that moment that still remains today. It was an eternal work. And he's thinking about and he's declaring who God is, instead of letting his circumstances overwhelm him. He's overwhelming his circumstances by bringing worship into the picture. He's sitting in the dirt, not in the throne room. But he says, hey, it wasn't my plan to be king. God, that was your plan. My plan is just to worship you, whether I'm in the cave or in the palace. My goal is just this one thing, to gaze upon your beauty, and I can do that here just as well as I can do it there. My circumstances don't determine my worship. 
Listen, there are a lot of things in life that you're not going to be able to fight your way through. But there is nothing in your life that you can't worship your way through. There have been days in my life, you guys, where I felt like just throwing in the towel. Man, this is terrible. I just want to quit. I, I want to do like David did. I want to run away. God, would you, can I move back to Colorado? That would be really awesome. I like it there. It's better than caves. Felt like giving up. Felt like giving even. I, felt, I have felt like in the past giving into the lies even though I knew they were lies because it just felt like that would be the easier thing to do. You know that that's not the truth. You know that it's a lie. But gosh, it should just be easier. But instead, I chose to stand and worship God, even in the bleakest of circumstances. And I know that others have looked on and others have wondered, that doesn't make any sense. He should just run to the caves right now. It doesn't under, it make any sense for him to stand and worship God right now. But I think to myself, what, what else can I do? What else can I do? But worship. Throw in the towel. Believe the lies of the enemy, even though I know that they're lies. Where's that going to lead me? How's that going to magnify the Lord? How's that going to give any testimony? How's that going to make me useful in his kingdom? I do it anyway. Why? Because I know that it's the best thing I can do. Circumstances may say that worship doesn't make sense right now, but the greater reality says that declaring who God is always makes sense. Some of the darkest days of my life, the only thing I could do is just close my eyes. And some of those days with tears pouring out of my eyes. And I would speak it or maybe even get enough gumption to shout it. Or some days it was so difficult that it, I couldn't even open my mouth, but I could at least think it. God, you're good. It's not about me. It's not about my story. These days are dark, but God, you're still good. You're still good. You're still good. You're still good. You're faithful. You're true, you're awesome, you're worthy, you're holy, you're still good, you're still good. God, this hurts, but you're still good. God, this is painful, but you're still good. God, these people left me, but you're still good. God, I've got this, this thing, uh, this, this weight hanging over my head, but you're still good. Church, I'm telling you this. We have seen some difficult days, and I don't just mean Siege Church, but I mean the church. We've seen some difficult days, especially over the last few years. But if you think the difficult days are over, you're mistaken. Difficult days are still to come, probably even more so. I'm not up here to preach doom and gloom and let's run for the hills. What I'm here to tell you is, is that I don't want you to live with a false sense of like, of hope, of like, it's all just, I just want it to turn around and be like it was, you know, before the pandemic. That's not going to happen. There's difficult days and circumstances ahead of us. So what are we going to do? Are we going to stand in worship and declare who God is? Or are we going to be, believe the lies of the enemy, even though we know that they're lies? even though that we know persecution is going to come. Heartbreak is going to come. But the good news is this. God is for you. He is for us. He is for his church. He's bigger than any situation or circumstance. You guys, this life that we're living here is temporary, but there is eternity in front of us. So if that means I have to endure persecution today so that I will re receive the reward of tomorrow, then I will do it. And again, it's not because, well, I can just muster up the strength and get through it. No, it's because I know who God is. 
I know who he is. And how did, I, how did I get to know him? In the place of worship. In the place of declaring who he is. I said this last week and I'll say it again. This right here will help your heart and help your head in getting to know God. You're like, well, I, I just I need to work on my relationship with God. Fine, that's great. Get your nose in this. Start here. Start in the place of prayer. Make it a priority to be with the people of God when, it's come, when it comes time to worship. When you look to him and you lock your eyes on him and you worship him, you can make it through any circumstance. Let, let's end our time together like we did last week. Why don't you stand up with me if you would, please. We, we just put this into practice and we're gonna do it again. Let's, let's spend our last moments together this morning and just ascribing worth to God, placing value on him. We did this without any music. The band wasn't up here. We didn't have an end of the service set list. All those things are great. All those things are wonderful. But sometimes you're gonna get home and you're not gonna have the band with you. You know? Thank God for Spotify. Thank God for just some worship phrases. Thank God for your Bible. But sometimes your environment and your atmosphere is not going to automatically be conducive. You are going to have to make the decision, no, 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 uh, worship isn't already here. I'm going to have to bring it here. I'm going to have to bring it into the situation and the circumstance. So last week, we just spent 60 seconds opening our mouths, describing worth to God, placing value in God. It was awesome. Some of us got loud. That was great. Some of us were just, you know, speaking our normal voice. That was fine, too. But I want to encourage you something. Last night, uh, my son and uh, Isaac was over at the house, Isaac James, and we watched the Nuggets game. We watched them win game three in the Western Conference Finals against the Lakers. Praise the Lord. I love it when LeBron loses. And... Um, I may, have just not ma- I may have just made some enemies right there, but I think many of you are friends. So, um, and I don't remember who it was. Maybe it's Jamal Murray made this amazing shot, and Noble jumps up out of the chair. He's like, oh, yeah, as if he was on the court himself. It's great. I loved it. It was awesome. And, uh, and I just thought, I just think, man, let's, can we get that undignified up in here? Can, from time to time, can we just jump up out of the chair and go, God, you're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's be louder in church than we, than we are watching the finals. Let's be louder in church than we are at, at Nissan Stadium or at Bridgestone Arena or at your kids' basketball game. That's, I could, I'm pretty loud at my kids' basketball game sometimes. But let's be louder than that. And it's not just about volume. It's about passion. It's about your, the conviction of knowing God is worth it, so I'm going to worship him. Yeah. Let's be more excited about Jesus than just our, our, our sports. Amen? Yeah. And, and remember, it, it's biblical to respond in a number of different ways, right? Standing, singing, lifting your hands, clapping, shouting, bowing low. All these things. And you might not feel like it at first, but that's okay. You do it anyway. You go to the gym anyway. Well, this doesn't feel authentic. You go anyway, and you hit the weights, and you get on the treadmill, and you do it anyway because you know it's what's best. And so let's declare the truth of who God is despite our feelings or circumstances. Say some things that ascribe worth to God, who he is. Thank him for what he's done. If you run out of things to say, it's okay to repeat yourself. I promise God's okay with it. And and as you worship, I pray that we would expect this revelation truth of who God is to just come alive in our hearts and in our minds. And, And we would expect God to empower us to endure any circumstance. Amen? 60 seconds of interrupted, uninterrupted praise and worship. I have a timer on my phone. These are some phrases if you want, you're not obligated to say these, but they're just kickstarters to just help you get going if you need that. 
If you need to just repeat them over and over, that's fine. If you get to the end of the list and you're like, I got it from here. Or if you don't need it at all, that's fine. But here we go. Ready, set, go. God, I just thank you that you are faithful to every generation, even ours today, God. Even our children, God. Even our grandchildren, God. You are faithful to every generation. And though though it may look like dark days, God, I thank you that you look at the situation and you say, who can be for you or who can be against you if I am for you? I thank you that that's the eternal truth. So, God, we lean into that. We're reminded of your goodness, your greatness, your faithfulness of who you are. You are holy. You are perfect. You are awesome. And we praise you in this, in this place today and in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm going to encourage you again. If you didn't do this last week, pull your phone out. Take a picture of the screen. Tomorrow morning when you wake up, start your day with just 60 seconds of uninterrupted praise and worship. When you're out in the field, tending to the sheep, develop a lifestyle of worship so that the day that Goliath stands before you and the enemy starts to tell you lies about who you are and how he's going to defeat you and, how, and who God is, you can go, no, 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 no. I already know who God is. God's got this. He's awesome. He's mighty. He's true. He's holy. And you're not that. And these lies are not that. This is counterfeit. I've touched the real thing. Amen?